Hi, welcome back to Fourth Speaker. You're here with your hosts. I'm David. And I'm Emma. So we're joining with you here today. I'm from home at the moment and Emma's at home as well. Emma, where are you at the moment? Yes. In terms of LGA. I am in the Stratfield. I think I'm in the Stratfield Burwood oh. LGA. Amazing. At home. Yeah. Like a responsible citizen. And David, you were also inside the LGA, inside yeah. the Fairfield LGA. Fairfield LGA, Mount Pritchard. Yes, as you have been for the last, what, like eight weeks now. Yeah, more. I think about eight weeks now. I'm about to go crazy. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so we're both home. We're doing this over Zoom. So if we have got some audio issues, we apologise in advance for that. But we'd also like to apologise for this podcast taking so bloody long. I did not realise until one of my friends pointed it out. Hello, Teresa, by the way, that it's been three months since, since our last podcast. What a trip. What a three months it has been as well. David, how has the last three months been for you? <sighs> I think like for everyone, I am I get you know, how we are contributing to slowing the spread of this virus so that people can, you know, have time to be vaccinated. Because like, let's be honest, we all just want to move on with our lives and we want to just, you know, have the Sydney, city of Sydney, just come back to normal, right? So I understand that this is all very important, but I have to admit I am getting a bit of lockdown fatigue. Mm. I've been teaching, like you, Emma, like, you know, we've been teaching from home, you know, and working Mm -hmm. jobs at schools. And we are very mm. privileged in that sense, but I'm going to be honest, I am a bit tired. Yeah, that is. Yeah. What about yeah. you? How have you been faring? The cabin fever. Mm-hmm. I've, I have such bad cabin fever. I am, again, very, very privileged to, you know, I'm going to be vaccinated on Sunday. David's already fully vaccinated. He's a Pfizer bitch. Congratulations. Um, I'm also getting Pfizer as well for those of us who care. Um, so, like, I again, in no way... Am I like being flippant about the rules? I go out with the mask. I don't venture outside of my now five kilometer bubble. But I think I speak for most people when I say that Mm. I'm over it. Like I'm ready to just get back onto living. Yeah. Just just what an hour ago, the Premier Gladys Berejiklian just mentioned that there is going to be an extension until September. So yes, I did hear that. (sighs) So I God I. Yeah. We actually we actually heard that um, announcement while Dave and I were discussing this and we both had to just take a break from talking about the podcast to just process all the news and all the stupidity <laughs> that came along with it and also process the fact that people are still wanting to protest on Saturday right. or Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not great. Neither of us are great, but mm. we're here. That's it. That's what matters. Bringing this podcast to you. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So before we start this podcast, though, we just wanted to acknowledge a few things that have happened in recent times, especially with this week with the fall of Afghanistan and how the Taliban has now taken over the country illegitimately. So, you know, it's just a terrible situation as to what's happening in Kabul and especially for the, all the poor, innocent people in Afghanistan. Yeah. Our hearts, are, you know, we, we are thinking about them as we are about all these other people that are affected in the world. For example, even in Haiti with the earthquakes and, you know, the assassination of their president, along with, of course, you know, the people in Myanmar and Burma who are still being persecuted um, Mm -hmm. with the current illegitimate coup d'etat that's been, um, that's taken place with their government. And now Mm. with protests that are happening in Thailand and Vietnam with, you know, cases rising, it's just been... Just through the roof. 
it's mm-hmm. been a crazy it's been absolutely crazy yeah. and to have all this information from home it's it's a lot and yeah. it can get quite overwhelming as well mm. so david do you have any words of advice of like perhaps how to how to manage yeah. all this terrible news yeah well i mean for me at least like i've just been trying to and this is hard for me right yeah. taking a break from social media like oh wow honestly i have i i've I've stopped trying to post too much about COVID because as you know, mm. when you post about COVID on your story, what Instagram does is that it tags your post and it says- this Yeah, oh yeah, it does like- Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like so- the stay at home. You get, you get the special purple bubble. <laughs> yeah. I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, the, not the purple bubble, but like every time you post anything related to COVID because there are certain words- that are related mm. to that Instagram's identified, they will actually, mm. at the very bottom of your story, there'll be like a, this is a COVID safe link to access that kind of information. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. My, my latest challenge, and I think this is something that, you know, our listeners might want to take on, maybe get into the challenge of not posting about COVID and having that tag come up, right? And just once in a while, avoiding it. Like, it's like, you know, when Trump got, um, what do you call it, a fact check by Twitter? Oh, yes, yes. It feels like that. Yes. It feels yes. like that. So I but get you're trying to avoid, you're trying to avoid that. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. That is, yeah. that's hilarious. What about yeah. you, Emma? What do well, you recommend? I've, I've been very reptilian lately, which is strange because I'm quite nocturnal and I don't enjoy being out in the sun, yeah. but I've been taking walks because thankfully my five kilometer bubble is nestled safely near Bicentennial Park. So lots of walks. Uh, obviously with a mask on socially distanced from people I actually glare at people like you know the dirty glare that you give to people when they're when they've got their mask on shit or like you know those runners who have their masks on their their elbows and I'm just like bro please I don't want your bloody germs all over my face yeah so I'll do I'll do the really passive aggressive like swerve out around them and then swerve back in yeah but that's how I've been keeping sane I've been I've been soaking up some vitamin d but yeah make sure you take some time out to take a minute, breathe, disconnect from the crazy world around us and talk to your loved ones as well. All right, then. Well, let's jump into today's episode after so long. This episode, episode five, is going to be called A Tale of Two Sydneys. What we'll be talking about in this episode is pretty much how already there has been something that's been caught. And we'll jump into this with um, a few more details later, but a latte line. And... Mm. Specifically how this latte line has essentially created two very different lives lived by two Mm. different types of Sydney ciders. Yes. Um, And we're going to dive into that, especially in the context of coronavirus and how it's how it's really changed now that the coronavirus entered the picture. Right. But first up, before we even start this conversation, because it's going to get quite dense, but don't worry, you've got two arts majors to hopefully walk you through this very, very messy part. Let's disclaimer pretty much, and I think that's all we do around here. I mentioned that before. Yeah, we disclaimer everything. We disclaimer everything. We're not looking <laughs> to get a lawsuit right now. We're not we're not rich enough yet. No one attack <laughs> us. Thank you. We wanted to just disclaimer our own primary and high school experiences and well, not so much the experience, but where we went to high school and primary school mm. and the suburbs in which they sat, right? So let's start off mm. with you, Emma. What primary school did you go to and what high school did you go to? And then on top of that, I want you to tell me what suburb did you live in at the time in both school situations? Well, I think I have a very, like, uh, we all know our absolute queen, AOC, right? Mm-hmm. I had a story quite similar to hers where, 
you know, I started my primary school education in like in Belmore North, right? And I lived in Belmore at the time. It was like my local school. I was beat up all the time at that school. It was not a very nice place to be. And then I moved to Picas Public in part to be closer to family um, and for a few other reasons. And then when I got into high school, I my parents moved to the inner west, well, to the cusps of the inner west so that I could attend Stratfield Girls High School. Yeah. So I think very much like a tale of like social mobility so that they could give me like the opportunities that I would not otherwise be able to get if I had stayed in that local government area. If right. I had say uh, went to like Picnic Point High School or Sir Joseph Banks, would mm. I don't I think my life would have been quite different. But what right. about you, David? What's your What's yeah. your story? So I, I went to, for primary school, I um, went to a school called Busby Public School. That is southwestern Sydney, near Bonnie it's, Ring, but a bit more west of that. Yeah. So, it sounds really fancy, though. I just want to I just want to say that. It sounds so fancy. James really? Busby High School. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, p- primary school, I went to Busby Public. Um, and mm-hmm. then for, Jane, for my high school, I went to a school called James Busby High School. And mm. at, so both schools are still like six minutes from where I live at the moment. And I live in Mount Pritchard, um, which is, again, it's southwestern Sydney, the closest CBD, um, I, you know, I've got like kind of air quotes. He's minute. got air, air quotes, yeah. Is Liverpool CBD and it's hardly a CBD. So it's more like a <laughs> bunch of buildings, that's about it. Yeah, a bunch of buildings and like a really ugly river with trash yeah. floating down it. Yeah, it's more like downtown. Um, I'd say downtown. Yeah. <laughs> down, yeah. down, 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 down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, David. Like, I'm thinking of that. What's that advertisement? Like, you know, down, down, price is down. <laughs> oh, yeah. With like the massive, the massive red fingers yes oh okay, bless was. um so yeah I, I i went to school in southwestern sydney um hmm. pretty much yeah within the bubble so emma just yeah. before we move on though you said you went to belmore right yeah where because i before talking with you I, I didn't even know where belmore was what's the nearest sub more famous suburb that you would say is to Belmore. Campsy. Campsy. Probably. Campsy Punchbowl. Campsy Punchbowl. Camp- Camp- it was it was like very much nestled inside the Canterbury Bankstown mm-hmm. CBD. Okay. Like the, right. the local government area. So yeah, very much the both of us uh exist arguably beneath the latte line. Me a little bit less so than David. Yeah. So that's that's our kind of background heading into this conversation. Mm. Do you want to start off by defining the latte line? Yeah, so the latte line, um, I don't know if a lot of people have, like, heard of what that might sound like. I know amongst us education students at university and art students, mm. we know... We all the artsy work. kids, yep. All the artsy kids were not. Yep. Um, but the latte line just refers to simply this imaginary line that runs from Rouse Hill, think Mount Druitt, all the way down to La Perouse. And this line in popular media has been, and it only came about, I think, around 2017 and onwards to pretty much describe the, a, a tale of two Sydneys, essentially. And what I mean by that is that there are two very distinct kind of lives lived by the people above that line and by the people below that line. And so that's why we wanted to disclaimer what we said before regarding where we went to school. So for my entire high school years, I was I, I, I went to primary school and high school below the line. Emma Strathfield actually exists. It actually it create it just sits on on that line, and if yeah, we just a bit above it, right? Yeah. 
So you're kind of like nearly a defector, I'd say. Yeah, near, nearly a defector. I mean, to be fair, though, <laughs> when, we lived, when we lived in Stratford, we definitely did not live on the affluent side of it because if <laughs> anyone knows Stratford, there is definitely an affluent side of Stratford and a <laughs> not-so-affluent side of Stratford where all, like, the migrant families move so that, they, that their kids could get into that school. Okay. Like, definitely. L- listen to me try and, like, <laughs> defend myself. I'm not a defector. <laughs> I'm one of you, I swear. All right, all right. <laughs> Yeah, so you're not on the boulevard, right? You're on the yeah. Other I'm, oh, no, definitely not. If we, <laughs> if I was on the boulevard, David, we would be doing this in a commercial property space, definitely oh, okay. not in the comfort of our own like shitty little right. bedrooms. Yeah, right, right, okay. So, but that's what pretty much the latte line is, and um, there have been other words to describe it. Um, you know, I I've heard another word for it. It's called the chicken line. Have, yes. you, have you heard of this? The red rooster line? Yes. It's hilarious. So yeah. apparently, for those <laughs> uninitiated, for those of us who, you know, for some reason don't know what Eljana is, Eljana is like a super wonderful chicken, like, retail outlet. And apparently below the latte line, so you think Western suburbs, more ethnic suburbs, the charcoal chicken you get is exclusively Eljana. Mm. And then there's a lot, there's... The latte line, which if you look up, actually fits quite nicely with the the locations of the red roosters. Yeah. Like it's uncanny. Wow. It is uncanny how close these lines are. And then anything above that is apparently called, and I have the name here, Char Grill Charlie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I've personally never tried before. I have no idea what this is. I literally had to look it up. Just I saw their Facebook content. and everything. Char yeah. Charlie's is the the famous chicken franchise restaurant that's managed by Roxy Jazenko's PR firm, Sweaty Betty. Oh. Um, last year, they recently threw a massive PR stunt on Bondi Beach. Oh, no, it was two years ago on Bondi Beach where um, Roxy actually had um, beach umbrellas, hundreds of them, um, which had char- charcoal charcoal charlies plastered on those umbrellas. And for the entire week, the entire Bondi Beach was filled with right. those colors. And so now they're really all over Sydney. Even Justin Bieber was also paparazzi eating at one of those charcoal jars. Really? Oh, yeah. So, but that's just to give this context. So it's it's definitely not, uh, so anything above the line is charcoal Charlie's, right? But yeah. below that, more of a red, red rooster kind of place. Like an El Because I seriously, I had no idea what charcoal Charlie was until like literally this morning yeah. so who's sounding like the defector now david <laughs> i've no, no no i've never i've never had <laughs> oh, okay all right i've only seen okay. it on the instagram behind the veneer yeah behind yeah the yeah i've only seen it okay <laughs> all right latte line chicken line whatever you want to call it yeah it's a tale of two sydneys yeah this is this is just pretty much another thing that we wanted to discuss in in lieu of what we're about to jump in and questions are going to be really really kind of I wouldn't say controversial but they can be quite confronting right so let's jump into the Mm. first one so given what we've just spoken about regarding the latte line let's start off with the first topic here and it's regarding selective schools Emma so because we know things like how the latte line has definitely created two types of Sydney's and we spoke Mm. before about how the latte line has you know in terms of education 90% of Sydney's top performing schools above that latte line and Mm. even more so that that kind of ratio looks even more stark when it comes to the band sixes and about the band fives that are achieved by students Mm. right 
So we know mm. that, as I said before, above 90% of band sixes in high schools are achieved above that line. In terms of selective high schools then, Emma, the question here that I have is, and I want your opinion on this, is sending your kids to a school outside your LGA socially responsible? Because like what we said before, right, I went to a school that's six minutes from me. And, you know, you as well, you lived in Belmore, you went to Belmore Public um, and then yep. you went to Strathfield. I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think that sending kids to a school outside their LGA helps contribute to keeping this latte line in place, this unfairness of quality of life that happens in Sydney? That is, I hate you for giving me that question because we, like, I want to also disclaimer this, uh, we came up with the question together. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is not a question that David came up with on his own. And now he's like... <laughs> Absolutely, he's like sidestepping me and stabbing me in the back. David for <laughs> Emma Zero. I hate you. Yes. I hate you. <laughs> we'll I get your opinion you. first is this, and then I'll this... go after. Uh, you can go first and then I'll go after you after this. Yeah, okay. Right, so just is sending your kids to a school outside your LGA socially responsible? Hmm. Look, as a child who was like whose parents moved for social mobility, for my social mobility, I can't then say that it's socially irresponsible because I would be calling my parents socially irresponsible. And I don't, I don't think that's fair. Like, I certainly don't think that that is a fair assumption to make of parents who live in low SES areas and either through, you know, moving or through, you know, borrowing a family friend's address or, mm -hmm. you know, renting out uh, an apartment and then subletting, but using that address to get their kids into a certain school. I don't think that that's a fair assumption to make. Mm. of a parent I think we need to nuance this further I love that word right such an artsy word we need to nuance this further and we need to think like well really if the prestige of the school if the funding of the school if the infrastructure of the area where lots of ethnic people lived right which again mostly southwestern Sydney areas if the infrastructure was better we wouldn't have to send kids over where the sunlight touches, right, outside of the Shadowlands for them to receive an education. Because I think definitely as someone who, you know, because the both of us were educated in, in public education, uh, the both of us worked in public education systems, I've now moved on, but David still also works in a public school, right? I think there's this real assumption of like, oh, you know, if you go to your local crappy government school in your area, especially in the southwestern Sydney suburbs, mm. um, the kids there and I've got air quotes here, don't care about school. And so these schools get, again, air quotes, left with crappy kids who don't care about education. And that entire thing is in, is in air quotes as well, because I don't, I don't think that's a fair assumption to make of the kids as well. So personally, as someone who has benefited from, you know, my parents choosing to move to a better suburb. Do I think it was socially irresponsible? I can't say that about my parents, obviously. Because again, a lot of the friends that I had at my school were not rich. Like the kids at Stratford Girls, they didn't live on the boulevard. The kids who lived on the boulevard went to Meriden and they went to San Sabina, they went to PLC. The kids who went to Stratford Girls were the kids who lived on the poor side of Stratford. By saying that, I would be, again, discrediting the experience of a lot of my friends. Mm. Like, it's just, again, such a big topic to handle. Mm. But, okay, final answer. Sorry, I just realised mm. I've just waffled on, right? Final answer. Perhaps it is slightly socially irresponsible, mm. right? 
but what else are you to do realistically? Like if I was a parent, right, if I ever want kids, I don't know if I want kids, right? I think working in teaching is like free birth control. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like if I were to ever have kids and I was like, you know, a desperate immigrant parent and I saw and I saw an opportunity to send my son or daughter to like a selective school outside my LGA or even to like a private or a Catholic school outside my LGA that would guarantee them access to better resources, access to students who are like more in line with the education values that I have, mm-hmm. I, I would do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's fair to then say, oh, I'm being socially responsible. So a little bit, but also what are you to do? Right. David. Yeah. I now pose the question to you. Oh, thank God I had you go to that first so I can get some perspective, right? Oh, oh okay. About it. Notice why I put you first and all that every time yeah, I no. ask you questions. <laughs> I know, I know. I think that's so rude. <laughs> I should have told you that because next time you're going to put me first, right? I, I am, I um, am. In terms of this question, like, it's kind of, it falls back to what we said last time, right, with um, how we spoke of money making the model gay whilst it's not an ideal situation to use money to to negotiate and to make yourself as more palatable for society i think it's something that's necessary and so in the same way i think for a lot of people in our communities particularly from the vietnamese community from ethnic communities who live in sydney and let's be honest who live disproportionately below that line relative to the city as an entire whole I think it is socially responsible, but I think relative to the community, it is mm. very responsible because why? I look at now my cousins who went to, you know, schools way out of their LGA, mm. who are dentists. I look at, you know, my friends who were sent all the way to Sydney boys, they're now doctors. I, mm. I look at friends who were sent like, I think two, three LGAs up like northwards, right? They're now accountants and lawyers and they they return the favour back to society. And so it's kind of like a short-term, irresponsible, long-term, very responsible kind of... uh, Mm. I have a question, though. Mm. Do these cousins and, you know, and and relatives of yours, do they now... Yeah. Do they now service, like, the Fairfield and those LGAs or do they service, like, the Hills Districts or North Sydney Districts? Good question, right? I think... I think a few of them come, but they actually work in southwestern Sydney now. Um, oh, I've that's had, cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can say Elvis, for example, he listens to this podcast. So hello, Elvis. Oh, listening. hello, Elvis. Um, Dr. Hello. E, he, he works at, I think, um, a dental practice in the Green Valley, which is, again, like right next to my high school where I went mm. to. Um, but the, the guy lives all the way up in my Castle Hill, I think it was, right? Um, I oh. have a few friends as well, you know, who are... But I, equally, that being said, I also have a few friends who are now, you know, doctors and they, yes, they lived in the area, like when they were young and they went to high school out in Sydney, but they're now based in, in the West. And so there's kind of like a mixture for that, right? So there is kind of like half the, the ethnic population who have responsibly returned. <laughs> it's right. Like, you know, they've, they've come back home to the nest. Um, and then we have this the is, other... This is again, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, not to pass judgment, right? Because you're you're free to do whatever it is you're doing. Right. But yes, yeah. sorry, David, I interrupted. That's Continue. Right. But then there's a, the other half who've, who've left the nest and never come back and visited old grandma David. <laughs> 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 back in southwestern Sydney. So we're all locked I know they've left. Without the comfort of our grandsons and cousins and all that. Um, Calm down. You're... T- yeah. You're 23, 24 this year. 
Hardly. Right? In my mind, I'm not 24, though. That's the weird part. I'm watching mm. Korean dramas most of the time and crying to, like, these these love stories I've never even known. <laughs> I know. And he's bold. Oh, a bold God. old man. But, um, yeah, sorry, back to the question. Yes, um, I think, you know, like what you said is it ha- you've got validity there, right? Ethnic parents, in the same way that they are presented with these very complex situations of being, you know, having schools in the area, like prior to them coming, these schools were already let's be very honest, shit. They were start shit mm. or funded shit. Yeah, and so, I know. you know, you have Vietnamese families who came in the 80s and the 90s having to face the decision well of, you know, should I send my child to the local school to be, you know, hashtag socially responsible or do I send them to a better school, say, you know, in Roos or, you know, to North Sydney? And of course, with just one generation, what do you think the decisions that they made? I, I get that, right? So I don't, I, I wouldn't consider them and I wouldn't consider sending kids you know, to a school outside of the LGA is socially responsible. I do have to kind of question, though, does sending your kid to a school outside of the LGA perpetuate kind of the inconsistencies and the inequalities that exist already, as we've mentioned with the latte line? I think that might be even something, uh, that's probably a topic for another day, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that's our take on it. And you know what? Mm. In terms of the latte line, right? Because this this links back. So we said before that a lot of Sydney's top performing schools exist above the latte line. They they ninety yeah. percent of them they live in north yeah. uh, north west air business districts. You're looking at Castle Hill. You're looking at Manly. And I think really when I was writing an essay on this, like back in the days, right? There were only three or four schools which performed high, which were above yeah. the ninety percent. Yeah, existed below the line. And those schools were congregated around Strathfield, right? Mm. Your home turf, Emma. And correct me if I'm wrong. I might might miss a few, but I know there's Santa Sabina College, MLC. There is Meriden, I think. Trinity. Trinity, right? And and also Strathfield Girls. Am I missing any of the top schools in that area? Burwood Girls, arguably, is also a force in its own right. The first couple schools that you mentioned, Meriden, MLC, PLC, Santa Sabina, Trinity Grammar, right? Those are completely and utterly like private Catholic schools that are very, very expensive. So I would almost argue that even though they exist on the cusp of the latte line, they definitely, you could, you could slot them into like, say the lower North Shore and they'd fit in just perfectly. Mm, mm. Like, so I think there's definitely a distinction there. And I think definitely our principal at the time very much, she kept it in like her mind's eye that we were a school that very much had to punch above its weight given the schools around us so i think yeah yeah yeah. hmm. so given given the spread of the schools and how we look at this latte line in terms of the distribution of these schools right and you know this is perfect because i work in a public school and you work in a private school right what suburb is it again it is it's over the harbour bridge okay okay oh it's over the bridge all right that's that's, that's, it's over the bridge over the bridge This is beautiful then. So in terms of our next point that we wanted to kind of draw attention to then is the idea of deficit ideologies when it comes to teaching. Emma, do you think, and you've worked in schools above and below the line. Mm. I've worked in schools only below the line. Mm. Do you think there's a particular style of teaching that exists under the latte line and might it be different slightly or significantly to the one that exists above the line now i know this is a podcast so you can't see but i'm actually sticking my middle finger up at david right now because he's just giving me the toughest questions right that again we have come up with together 
right? But he's just bloody throwing them at me, oh. right? Like shurikens. I, I don't know you. what you're talking about. This is just a conversation. This is no, no agenda behind this. Shut up. This Shut up. Clearly, there's no agenda behind this. Oh, of course. Of I think course. you're the perfect but... person to answer it. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too. All right. Okay. You can <laughs> shut up now. Snake. Absolute <laughs> snake. Now, for those for those who were lucky enough not to do an education degree and for those uninitiated, the deficit teaching approach is simply this idea that teachers already have pre-existing notions of students inside their, their mind and that creates like this perpetual cycle. Like an example of a deficit teaching approach would be if you're working at like a crappy school to immediately expect your students not to hand in assessments on time or to expect that your students aren't able to host like proper scientific experiments and so they never got the opportunity to like cut open a cow's eye so that's kind of like the deficit model of teaching it's already having this kind of negative expectation of your students and often it's based on like the rich and the poor but often as well in my experience it also intersects very nicely with race and this is especially when you have like teachers who are you know predominantly not of that culture or not sensitive to that culture they hold very deep set deficit teaching models and yeah David's just doing like the the praise be hands right now and I think this is something that I think most young teachers experience too Mm. like I did my teaching program at UNSW and so you had a lot of like I've got my own gripes with UNSW but I will admit that they their program is quite exclusive in the sense that if if you weren't very bright or if you didn't want to put in the work they would get Mm. rid of you pretty quickly and so I was I was lucky enough to do my teaching program with like-minded young passionate teachers who wanted to do good for their kids wherever they were, right? And we had a lot of people in my program who were passionate public educators who were sensitive to, you know, teaching different cultures and things like that. My ELD cohort was amazing as well. Like not only as EALD teacher do you have to teach the language, but you also have to be aware of the cultural differences that come from the students that you have. So, you know, it would be incredibly damaging for an EALD teacher to have a deficit teaching mindset. So just to answer your question. Yeah. Based on my experience, I think definitely, Mm. right? Look, I have my own gripes with the public system and I have my own gripes with the Catholic system and I have my own gripes with the independent system because I've worked in all three. But I think definitely I see the deficit teaching mindset and the model so much more in public schools, in part because when you're working at a public school, you don't get to pick the kids that you teach, right? right, right. When you work for a Catholic school, uh, when you work for the Catholic Schools Association, right, or if you work for an independent school, they have a very particular ethos of teachers, staff, and also students. So, Mm. you know, my school right now, my independent school right now is also a religious school. And so obviously I wouldn't go and teach at a school that directly was in conflict with the the way that I saw the world. Mm. So I think a lot of the teachers there are very sensitive to the the culture, the religion, and the ways of being that a lot of our a lot of the students there hold. Right. And I, there's not that level of vetting okay. for public school teachers who work at schools that are vastly different to yeah. the culture that they grew up in. Yeah, to be honest, right? Like at the same time, do you think it's because disproportionately the ethnicities and the ethnically diverse students who come from southwestern Sydney, they're not able to afford to access those schools? are private, no. independent and religious, no. um, which primarily no. sit above the line. And so do you think that's why like private schools, there isn't that kind of deficit kind of teaching that exists in this? Absolutely not. Mm. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think also, and again, like this could be a podcast on its own, but the private system is much quicker 
at mm. weeding out ineffective teachers or teachers that don't fit with the ethos. Right, because right? the legalities let them. Yeah, right. of course. Like, you know, when you when you work for a completely independent school, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Catholic schools because they've got their own kind of sedentary issues, but yeah. I'm talking completely fully independent schools where yeah. you have your own specific contract signed with the school. They yeah. can fire you for any sort of reason, right? Right. Yeah. And like the power that kids have at private schools and the power that the parents have means that the teachers are much more at mercy. Yeah. And so you very rarely see this deficit teaching mindset right. at private schools. Yeah. Right. yeah. I, I don't see it at all. Mm. And like with my experience, I agree with you because like whilst I haven't taught at a private school independent above the line, my experience alone just working in a public school and working in X department, and I won't say the department, um, working <laughs> in X and Y faculties, you know, you absolutely see that whilst the school is very supportive of each other and they're the staff beautiful, right? Because I've worked at a few schools. Like at the same time, deficit thinking and teaching is still very much prevalent in these schools. And, you know, you and I, we, we run our own tutoring centre. And let's be honest, it is private. It is for profit. And so the clientele that rocks up, very much they're academically driven they you go yeah. you have to be wired a different way to teach these kids because they're not your day-to-day kind of content right it's it's very shocking to me coming into schools like that are low SES government and they, they are disadvantaged to be confronted not with like I'm not shocked at the, the kids and how they don't know things and how mm. like the, how they don't they're not acquainted with the content which they're meant to learn because they're, they're still learning the whole premise yeah. I'm yeah. more shocked with the expectation to which their teachers hold them at and oh absolutely right and the leeway that teachers give these students whether it be out of you know out of genuine care and sincerity or whether it be out of and let's be honest and I've seen this sometimes kind of like pity and like looking down on these kids because yeah as if these kids are not biologically wired to be able to understand a certain concept or be able to have the the particular thresholds to understand content as a kid at say James Roosewood. It's yeah. so shocking to me. And so I, I can't answer this question because I've never taught above the line, but in terms of teaching below the line, I've mm. absolutely seen it. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a few teachers uh, who, who come from the same background, you know, even participating in this deficit teaching. And so I find it to be a really weird phenomenon, which I've, you know, I've actually been meaning to look into deeper in terms of, I've actually wanted to go back to university just to, to research more of this stuff. Okay, um, all right, Mr. The Masters of Education. Yeah, and, and dive specifically into this, because finding now that, and this is just my own observation, this is not real, this is just my observations. I'm finding now that it's almost as if, despite having the positions and the power to be able to change and transform deficit teaching and thinking that your students are not smart enough to do this or thinking that the students are not going to be able to, I don't know, submit a, a full 20-word essay versus, say, a short answer. It's still mm. it's still an issue that exists today amongst teachers who come from those very backgrounds, almost like they self-perpetuate it because they're too afraid of kind of upending the system on which they've been able to benefit from, you know, have a job and blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I don't know that's what I found. And it's just been really shocking coming in because as I, get, as I said again, like last time, right, I'm an SLSO. And so I, I get to see teachers on their best and worst behaviours. I'm not the person who comes in and fires them. And so I found that a lot Yeah, you're of very times, fly on the wall. Right, I'm fly on the wall and they can, they can do whatever they want. And I see them every day and it's so shocking Sometimes I, I don't know if that's an experience that you've been able to share and have those from your school, but yeah, that's what I've had with mine. Yeah, I mean, um, I 
this is this is not from when I was a teacher. This was definitely from when I was in my younger years at university. We had this mm-hmm. like it was it was very strange. It was an excursion that the right. that the university took us on. It was called Beyond the Bridge. That's literally the name. <laughs> Let's not even let's not even get into how problematic that is, right? Let's let's not even get into how problematic that name is, right? Right. But I think this this excursion still happens every year. And I I went to, I'm talking like bottom of the barrel school, Mm. like right at the end of the league tables. Like I'm talking the the brightest, smartest kid there, her aspiration was TAFE. And I'm not saying that like TAFE is like not not a great thing to do, but I'm definitely saying that. Yeah, if she was at a, at a different school, perhaps it would be different. Right. And we we did an excursion there. I wasn't quite sure why, because again, I lived, breathed below the line. Mm. But definitely, because I ended up getting a job there as a, as an aide, right. and in the same way that David's experienced it, there were teachers there. And I think again, only from my experience, we see this in the public system. There were teachers there who were there because they had to be. Right. And. Again, this is just like a little bit of insight for our listeners. In the public system, there is a points award system. If you work for underserved schools or schools where people don't really want to work at, like regional, rural areas, areas like deep, deep southwestern Sydney, like Campbelltown, you would get more points. And so eventually, I think after three or four years, you would be able to accumulate enough points to then transfer into a nice and cushy selective school two suburbs away from you. Mm. And so what you saw was you had a handful of teachers at the school who cared deeply about their students and who pushed their students harder than I ever could have imagined a group of staff could push students. This school had amazing like holiday programs. The principal was always doing home visits. The executive staff there were incredible, but you had a huge number of staff there who were there to milk the system, get enough points, and then apply for a transfer to a cushier school. So I think Obviously, there you have the deficit teaching model. You had the whole, oh, I'm only going to be here for like two, three years and then I can move to somewhere better. And so they came into class with like really crap worksheets and, you know, stuff that would never fly at the school Mm. that I'm working at right now Mm. because they could get away with it. And because obviously at these schools and behavior management and kind of like, you know, dealing with everything outside of the home, that's number one. It's very, it was very much a welfare school. And I'm sure this is the same experience, but I find that at these welfare schools, although they may be great at supporting welfare and supporting students, I think you have, you always have a group of teachers there who are looking to milk the point system mm. and have this really horrible deficit approach to teaching where they're like, oh, you know, these kids are too stupid. They'll spend their entire lives on welfare. Why should I bother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and again, only under the latte line. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And you know what? Like that kind of brings us back to the previous question. Like, is that more socially irresponsible than the mm. parents who send their kids outside of the LGA to go to schools? Do you know what I mean? Like if it's the people who are teaching inside these schools that are really gatekeeping the quality that, that of the education that these kids are going to receive, it almost then seems like no matter no matter how hard or no matter how long parents like yours or mine send kids to schools within the local area, there's mm. always going to be a handful of teachers and staff who are milking the system for what it almost like, as like you said before, just like a, a little tokenistic way of you know being yeah. able to accumulate points and then yeah. go to a closer school near them and you know, know when you when you were describing that i never really thought about it but when you when you said that i immediately thought about like how i am constantly trying to you know increase my limit trying to find points and then i upgrade to a new credit card right but <laughs> 
what I'm not hiding and what we yes. don't hide is that it's 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 for profit. It's yeah. for personal selfish gain. That's what it is. Yeah. And I'm gonna be honest. But the way that the education system here kind of oh, yeah. like advertises that system of well, come here, you accumulate four times X points versus if you were to go to that school, almost like posturing as like a well, this is a way to to encourage uh better teachers in rural yeah. communities. When really it's not that. That's not the incentive. Yeah. That's not the outcome and, either. Absolutely. And like I think so many teachers forget kids aren't stupid. Yeah. Like the kids were 100% clued in to the yeah. teachers who were there to milk the program. And like they knew more about the program than I did because they were right. acutely aware of what teachers were there to yeah. milk and to get the points so that they could apply for transfer. And they were incredibly suspicious of new mm. teachers. And look, I don't blame them, mm. right? Because immediately if it's like you're saying, right? Like if the teachers, if the education system has that in place, it's like, well, that's an incredibly condescending attitude to have, number right. one. Right. And right. so these teachers would come into the classroom and these students would immediately feel attacked. Yeah, yeah. But yeah absolutely. Like the system is so incredibly fragile and it broken. Is. It is. It, you know, it almost feels like you know a sense of well who can actually afford to go to these rural schools and afford four times x points you know versus <laughs> yeah <laughs> versus a teacher who can't afford it and realistically yeah. if you do the like the, the maths again like teachers it's usually the teachers above the line who can afford to go to these rural schools to to then be able to return to a school closer to them and it's just then self-perpetuating right mm. we didn't even get we didn't even get time to go into the distribution of the jobs of based on the yeah. line. but you know just based off that experience alone and for us and how the education system has been demarcated by this line it's just absolutely phenomenal you know what and you know we've reached the final question here and so relative to everything that's happening to us now emma and to ha that's happening in the world that's happening in australia new south wales and sydney and back at home for us mm. do you think covid and the pandemic and this lockdown right has blurred or further demarcated this latte line this 33rd parallel oh god here we go have that's you been really watching crash landing on you i really have i've been watching too many oh. Do you just, think this pandemic yeah. has, has made this line like more blurred or do you think it's, it's really made everything more obvious for everyone? I mean, the, uh, the answer is obvious. It's obviously brought everything into such sharp focus. Right how fragile and how broken the public school system is yeah. versus how not I don't I don't want to say that no actually I am going to say it the private system and I'm, I'm talking the private system not the Catholic system because I know the Catholic system also has schools that are quite low SES who are Catholicly aligned right so mm -hmm. I'm talking completely independent the school is run like a for-profit business yeah these schools definitely have pulled ahead during right. this time yeah the amount of support that the students at my school is receiving is immeasurable like yeah. there is no possible way a public school with government funding yeah right with teachers who are on this crappy like points-based system yeah. who maybe did a grad dip for six months like right. 20 years ago yeah. there's no way that, that that system could hold up to something like this you know the school has teachers pretty much working like round the clock yeah obviously remunerated properly as well yeah. right 
that's um, the important, students, right? Yeah. yeah, and like the students are supported in a way that I've never seen. Like we post the work to the kids. Mm. They complete the work and then they post it back mm. to the teacher's market and then we post it back to the kids. So yeah. there's this like from day one, this is like August 2020, there was a system in place so that students would have as much as possible an uninterrupted learning experience. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously the pandemic sucks and the kids have been struggling, but we look at some of the students we have here, right? Some of our students here who are on the Foci Scholarship who yeah. come from these low SES schools, they're telling me that they haven't seen their teachers since last term. Like yeah. there have been no Zooms. Like literally all they see from the teacher is a Google announcement and they're not even getting their work marked. Right. And that to me is shocking. Yeah. Like I am, I am shocked and I am appalled <laughs> by... <laughs> Yeah, I get you on it. <laughs> I, I like seriously, like yeah. I, I had a lesson with one of my teen classes this week mm. and they were telling me that, you know, they would be doing their trials as like practice, yeah. but their teachers would not be marking them. And I just sat here like, well, then what's the bloody point? Yeah. What's the point? Why are you doing this then? And I think definitely COVID has like painfully, so incredibly painfully demonstrated just how fragile the public school system is. And again, this is no hate to the public school system because you know they're servicing a population that is much more different than the private population right mm. you've got kids who come from again low SES backgrounds you've got kids who come from families that may not value education you have kids who have like difficult family situations mm. right but I think definitely there's been a very like hodgepodge ad hoc approach yeah. across New South Wales right. and I think COVID has really clearly demarcated that the latte line and yeah. all these private schools above the line right and, and public schools as well because we've got yeah. some kids here who go to like selective schools above the line right who you know it's business as usual for them but yeah. the kids below the latte line yeah you know who cares about them apparently right yeah for you i'd imagine it's it's quite similar for you right david oh no it really is like the latte line for us coming in initiated to these kinds of conversations already we already knew the implications of that line right like we knew it very well from the start but it's like this pandemic and this lockdown, if it hasn't made everything clear for the uninitiated, nothing else is. Like, nothing else in the world. If a global pandemic and endless perpetual lockdowns do not demarcate and do not make obvious the inequalities that exist between the haves and the have-nots in mm. Sydney's education scene, nothing else will. That's the plain yeah. truth, right? And as harsh as that sounds, that is why we get so frustrated when we look at public policymakers in the scene when it comes to education and really the lack of funding that gets pumped oh. into these schools, right? <laughs> like, yeah. time and time, you know, this is a topic that is so massive, but, like, for us and for me particularly as well, when I, when I look at COVID and how it's affected the students who go to my school, like you said before, the kids in these top schools, like your schools, they're taking off harder and further because yeah, yeah. they have the luxury of time. They have now the ability to work at their own pace and it's pretty much feeding them an experience that's building them for university. On the flip side, for kids kids at the schools I work at, it has really like just throttled the way they can learn. We have students yeah. who were sitting on low band five, high band four, looking to drop out now at a high school and oh, looking snap. to get into other careers instead yeah. of going on to learn and going on yeah. to educate themselves at the tertiary level, right? And I'm not That's saying, shocking. you know, getting a blue collar job is bad. Not at all. My dad's a blue collar mm. worker, right? He's supported mm. my family for like so long now, my whole mm. life. 
But yeah. I am saying it's you cannot deny the importance of education in a society like Australia, where especially in Sydney, half the population, more than half actually, is ethnic. You cannot yeah. you cannot deny that because we come from these immigrant backgrounds, and already literally half the bottom half of Sydney works in blue collar jobs. That's the disproportionate mm. truth and reality, right? So it's just for me, you know, I agree with you on it. It's really demarcated this thirty third line, and if anything, I I would go as far as to say that if you can't see the inequality, quality that still exists after these lockdowns after the pandemic after the deaths after everything that's happened this year quite frankly i don't think you want to see it unless yeah. You go bankrupt and your family goes bankrupt and your kids are not able to go to the fancy school at Scott's College and have the swimming pool lessons that they always have every day now. That's the truth. Mm. And that's why it's so frustrating seeing public policymakers in New South Wales just really spinning around and twirling around in their pirouettes and trying to avoid all the accountability that comes down to funding uh, these schools, right? Don't Ugh. get me started. Oh, my goodness. Oh. What an episode that was, you know. I know. This was, we took about an hour <laughs> to oh, prepare yeah. and to find out what we wanted to talk about when it came to this. And, you know. And we only Marianne... figured it out at like minute 50, right? Yeah. We only just bump it around until minute 50. And now, yeah, yeah. yeah we're here. We're here. And even then, still, we had to go off a bit of tangent because, you know, we just wanted to contextualise everything. Education is an important aspect for us, not because we just run a business out of it, because we've, we work with such a spread of students across the state that we can see into the assessment tasks they receive, the qualities of the marks they receive, the, oh, yeah. the, the, the vast differences when it comes to the quality of education that they receive. And it's a bit hard not comment on these pre-existing and self-perpetuating really, right, inequality mm. that exist. So we just wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening to a very long episode. We wanted to make up for it because we haven't been posting in the last three months. Um, I know. We also thought at a particular time like this, there's no better time to talk about such a topic. Yeah, but Emma, did you have anything to, else to add on to this before we wrap this up? No, let's wrap it up. That's it. I that's think that's it. everything, yeah. That's absolutely it. Well, you know, thank you again for joining. But as always, as we always love to say, bye. bye. Oh my God, that was cute.